Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Big Daddy Matt, you did say that you were going to sing at the start of this. Hello? Yeah, I'm not going to really. Hello and welcome to In The Pocket, the bass guitar podcast where we get the lowdown on the low end. My name's Johnny, a totally average bass player, and each week I'm lucky to be joined by a different co-host to talk all about that bass. Now, I haven't said that for a while because it's just been me and, me and my boy Chris, uh, who is there in the background now. Uh, he's, he's giving me a thumbs up, but you don't want to see that. You, that's why we don't do video, honestly, so we don't have to put up with Chris's face. Um, but this week, as well as being uh, joined by a uh, friend and full-time session bass player, Chris Horrocks, uh, we are also joined by session player, bass teacher, and lovely low-end lad for Wellbone and, I hope I'm saying it right, Alucard? Yeah, that's the one. Yes! You play bass in yellow oh. cards? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. I wish. <laughs> I want to play the violin in yellow card. Yeah, I wish I had that, ye- I wish I had that yellow card money. <laughs> This is our first ever three-way um, that we've done on this podcast. Um, so I don't know. I don't know who to start with. You know, um, Matt, how are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Excellent. Oh, that's quite all right, young man. Yes, I am. Um, I called you young man. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I'm probably I'm... the oldest here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm good, thanks. Um, and Chris, you're right. Yeah, I'm all okay. right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Fine. Awesome. Cool, nice. Um, so every time we have a a special, very special guest on this podcast, we like to um, ask them three different questions um, to kind of get you guys to know them a little bit more, you know, um, to to break that wall down, so you guys, um, yeah, just just get the vibe a little bit more. Um, so, and and if you guys want to kind of hear mine and Chris's answers to this, you can go back and hear the previous episodes when we first appeared on on this podcast so go back and have a listen um but matt i want to start things off um tell the people how and why you started playing bass okay so i started well i actually started off as a guitar player like a lot of us do um and then i moved to brighton and i was looking to get into the local gigging scene and there's a website called join my band so i put out an ad saying uh guitar player moved to brighton looking to gig (laughs) and people were literally sending me like hate messages like get to the back of the leaping queue and all of these things and i was like okay what (laughs) that's not the vibe i was hoping for um (laughs) and it was yeah it was around christmas time and i got a bit of cash and i thought right i'm gonna buy a bass so i bought a bass and i was gigging a month later (laughs) so wow yeah so and then but i've always been with guitar i was always a rhythm player and i didn't care about shredding at all and when i picked up bass i was like ah this is where i should have been the whole time because obviously it's so Mm. rhythm based and it's just you know keeping the backbeat going so since then i've not really touched the guitar at all and obviously been playing bass for years and years and years now so yeah but that's basically how i got into it um but i've been playing guitar since i was about eight i guess so i've been been on strings a long old time 
amazing and you know you're you know, teaching doing session work in in studio and live isn't it now yeah yeah so i do up to 100 gigs a year uh live with various either fun like i'm in a quite an established function band um and then i do quite a lot of depth work uh and then i do a bit of session work uh for you know various people um and i've got my own projects uh as well so yeah i'm, I'm pretty busy really I'm, I'm quite lucky in that way and then yeah i do a bit of like online teaching and stuff like that um more technique based these days so for people who want to learn like a specific thing like double thumbing or hybrid picking or something like that it's quite a lot of like metal and proggy techniques really well i need to know all of those things so we'll talk later <laughs> i'll give you thank mate. you i'll give you mates rates mate. don't worry <laughs> oh sweet thanks so much um yeah I, you know like we say we we all we all stem down whether we want whether, whether we want to admit it or not uh from being a guitarist at first which just goes to show that you know us bass players there deserves to be more of us out there i think um so i wonder if you could start also by saying your three words to describe your bass playing yeah this one was quite difficult because i always find it's really difficult to speak about your own playing and try and be like you know you don't want to sound massively big-headed or or like you know <laughs> it's just so awkward isn't it but i think really fucking sick yeah <laughs> i'm just fucking dope um i was gonna say a couple of people have always said that i'm like really precise with my um right hand so from a picking perspective um generally i try and be very linear so like i try and get you know um from a recording perspective i'm trying to get every note to hit the same like velocity um and you know just kind of hit in the same way really and I, d I try and um be quite efficient as well so that's probably i'd go precise efficient i don't want to waste any energy so with double thumbing and stuff i'm keeping my hand really close to the strings don't want to go any excess movement because you're just going to get a bit more fatigue and then i'd like to say varied as well uh, on the gram and stuff like that i do quite a lot of metal stuff but actually from a session perspective i do quite a lot of like neo soul and like funk stuff as well and um, which i don't generally tend to put as much up online but yeah i try and i try and keep my toes wet in that world as well yeah, absolutely. Because when I was kind of looking over all your stuff, I wasn't expecting like how much metal there was. And I, I was like, you know, obviously very secretly, su uh, happily surprised. I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> so good. Um, and, you know, uh, for those that haven't, uh, what, what's your handle on Instagram for it's, people to go and check you out? It's just Matt Parker Bass. Nice and easy. There you go. Or you can go yeah, on mattparkerbass.com if you want. Ooh. There we go. go. Or Matt wow. Parker Bass on TikTok. I'm on TikTok now, baby. Have you got a website or is it just a link tree? No, it's a proper website. You can go and have a look. Oh, There's a contact form what and everything. Heck? <laughs> I feel like wow, I should wait. Do you get much? Do you get much through the website? Uh, I get quite a few inquiries. I don't actually know what my traffic numbers are anymore because I've not looked in a million years. But I was probably getting maybe, I'm trying to think, maybe 200, 300 clicks a month. Which is all right. I don't promote it anyway, so I don't do any like Google. I think that's pretty. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was all right. That's pretty good. Um, oh, nice. Well, there you yeah, go. go. Johnnydibble.com coming soon. Then yeah, make it happen. Um, so finish things off with our top three quick fire questions. Um, what now? I know this is probably gonna be. This might be hard. Um, or you might have one in your head straight away. Um, because I know you have an incredible, uh, bass collection. Um, so what is your number one bass? My number one bass is the Squire Bass 6. No, it's not. <laughs> we'll get onto that in a minute, but no, my number one bass is uh, my <laughs> new... This <has> just died. <laughs> He's fuming. That's literally why, I, that's the only reason I'm on this podcast, just to get the bass 6 in there for Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, my number one right now is my new uh, Voronsaku MP45. So... 
Um, it's a kind of a design collaboration between me and Saku Viori from um, Voren Saku Guitars. It's um, it's a bit of an interesting one. It's a short scale five string uh, with Thunderbird pickups and it's an offset body. So it's kind of hitting all kinds of niches. But yeah, that's my baby at the moment, obviously, because I kind of designed every spec of it uh, in terms of hitting, what I needed. <laughs> hitting every kind of kink there is. Oh, it's, that sounds insane looks insane and uh we will actually have a little listen to that later on um spoiler alert everyone um because it sounds a damn good um chris should we should we move on to some questions oh go on then question one um There we go. Um, This is a really good question, actually. Like, I'm pretty keen on this to discuss this. So this is, uh, do I really need a preamp with an active bass, such as a Ray 34? Now, um, who would like to go first in answering this? On your buzzers. Um, So is this kind of, we're talking preamp pedals with uh, combined with active basses? I'm assuming... My assumption is yes. Like, do I need a, some sort of preamp pedal with an active bass? Mm. Or is this... Because okay. originally when I first read this, I thought, do I really need a preamp with an active bass? Well, it's an active bass. But then again, you can buy active <laughs> basses where you can't control the preamp. My Squire Jazz bass has EMGs in it, and there's no preamp control. It's just the EMG thing in it. And you can still do the volumes and the tones, but you can't do, say, something like you can do on a, a Stingray, for example. You know, you can do bass mid-treble. So I'm going to go yeah. ahead and assume it's some sort of, like, do I need, a like, a preamp pedal? Like, they're going into something like the the Dark Glass Harmonic Booster, uh, maybe yeah. the Sans Amp, and then they're coming and into an question. Yeah, it's a question I get quite a lot on, like, active bass, or if I'm demoing, mm. like, a, a preamp or something, someone will be like... But I've got a preamp. Or actually, the, I know the main source of this comments because I think my top video is like the top five pedals every bass player needs. Um, and in there, I put a preamp because I I love preamps, mm. um, preamp pedals. Um, and loads of the comments are like, <laughs> "Well, you don't need that because I've got one in my bass already," etc. Um, for me, like I really like having a consistent sound and having my sound kind of mm. built into my pedal board that i can take with me because i'd sometimes be at occasions where i don't know what <laughs> amp i'm using or i don't know what the cab's mm. going to be like and so i like to kind of keep as much tone as possible in my bass and board rather than the amp that's kind of where mm. my passion goes it goes bass pedals then the amp um so i i'm all for having a preamp generally but then as well as having it on the having it on there and it's something that you can that i will tweak as well whereas often if i've got an active bass i will find the sound i want and leave it i'm i'm rarely like massively tweaking it mm. I, mean, I don't love complicated preamps on basses i'll just have a you know bass middle and treble please yeah um maybe some kind of like series parallel thing but not like not too crazy because i you can that's that's when it gets into danger zone i think because then you've got like that treble to fiddle with that treble to fiddle with you know on the board and then the treble on the amp as well you know you've got 
And what do you do? You could be there twiddling for ages. And I think that can sometimes take things out a little bit. Um, so, so I guess the answer is it depends for me. But I, I'm overall in, in the camp of having a preamp pedal as well as, you know, regardless of what the bass is like. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think one of the things that can make your life a lot easier as well is that if you've got a good preamp, you can run a reduced gig rig. So if you want to DI out into a PA, it gives you a lot more versatility in, in terms of the sound going out to the desk. So you have a little bit of control over that. And then I also think that a lot of good preamps now have things like compressors. So it helps just make the sound a bit more uh, balanced overall in terms of the output. And I think as well that if you are going to have a, like, again, you get drive on these preamps now a lot of the time as well. So really from a reduced gig rig, they're really good, can make your life a lot easier. And they can give you a template for going out to the front of house, which you're happy with before the sound guy gets his hand on your signal. So I think they're useful from that point of view. I think from a signaling point of view as well, I think that I would prefer to have the bass flat if possible and to kind of sculpt my tone from the pedal rather than I, I'm not a huge fan of active basses to be honest all my basses apart from one are passive and even then I try and make the one active as kind of passive sounding as possible so everything is just at 12 o'clock flat in the middle of the notch but I think that yeah there's so many benefits to having a preamp pedal that really it's just something that everyone should have on their board now again helps you get a more linear signal can reduce what the stuff that you need to take to a gig especially if you're not going to have any stage sound and i know this is something that us three have spoken about before not on the podcast but from a point of view of making it easier for people to mix in your sound into in-ears and stuff like that if you've not got any stage sound so you've not got a live amp on stage it just helps your sound guy balance everyone's output rather than him trying to fight half of your sound coming off the amp and then half of it coming out of your, you know, preamp or something like that. So I think if you can do that and maybe not have a live stage, it can make things a little bit easier for your sound guy as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, Chris, what say you? Um, I think I think you're both right, absolutely. The only thing, I think the main thing that resonates for me is I think there's certainly nothing wrong with having a, a preamp pedal or some sort of preamp alongside an active bass. So um, the main reason I enjoy that, though, is I have a I try to have a very consistent tone in the pedal department. So, for example, um, you know, my live preset on the Quad Cortex never changes. That I pretty much don't do anything with that because when I bring a different bass guitar into that environment, I want that to be the big change. So for whether it's my passive Godan, which is like a, which is a PJ, or my Music Man, which is like an, an active Stingray, I think they're kind of like the two biggest differences I've got. Um, I want when I plug those two bases in to go, oh yeah, this is a completely different sound. There's a reason why I brought this bass, and then I will I will try I will maybe tweak it on the bass a little bit for that particular gig because I'm going for that specific sound. So for example, on maybe like a a blues gig, again, it will still be the same quad cortex preset, which essentially is a compressor into a, a Mesa Boogie 400 plus and then an 810, and then off it goes. That, but then I'll bring the passive Godan on the P pickup with the tone down, and I'm like, right, it's Pinot time. 
you know like this is the this is kind of like the bluesy kind of much more mellow sound and then for say some the more recent gigs i've been doing which is kind of like that big um big corporate kind of like very bright sound like very poppy but still with like quite a lot of treble like a lot more treble than i thought i was originally going to go for i'm very much going for a stereotypical active bass sound stingray the trebles up a little bit the bass is up a little bit it's a bit more scooped but the preamp stays the same so the preamp is still doing a lot of heavy lifting i'm just bringing in the bass as kind of like a bit of seasoning but you are right though yeah. having a preamp is going to decrease your um gig load significantly which if you're doing lots of gigs and lots of driving lots of late nights um if you've ever dragged an eight by ten up a flight of stairs at two o'clock in the morning I guarantee to you, you will be buying a preamp pedal that next week. You'll never want to do it again. I think yeah, as well for me though. I think as well for something like a Ray Thirty Four Stingrays have quite um, quite a specific sound, mm. don't they? And even though you can tweak EQs on a Ray, I think it still very much sounds intrinsically like a Ray, but with some part of the frequency boosted. You know, what I mean, they've got such a characteristic yeah. like growly sound, haven't they? That I think it's actually quite useful probably to have a preamp for something like a stingray because it helps you kind of start on a more almost like a neutral setting if that makes sense you can add so much more and as well a lot of preamps will operate in different frequencies to the preamp on your bass as well so for example i use the war is bad water a lot as my preamp and it's got like low pass filtering high pass filtering i can like tweak the low mids the high mids treble bass i've got a couple of different like bass response switches on there and stuff like that and then I've got a compressor. So it just helps me, certainly with that kind of bass, it probably allows me to add a little bit finer detailing into the signal that the front of house is getting. And if you you know, if you want that kind of character, that's perfect. But also if you've got one bass or, you know, you've literally got one bass to take to a gig and that is your working instrument, yeah. it probably just helps you tweak either the sound coming out of uh, a PA which might be unusual to you like a different PA every night or it just helps you like sculpt the tone to be slightly better for you know whatever the application is so if you want something like more Motown you can have like a load more low end in cut some of the mids out cut some of the treble out like lower the gain and things like that that's just coming out of the bass and just help to like you know make it a bit mellow more mellow sounding that's such a good point um especially that bit I was just about to mention like the creative um options that come to you when you have more preamps available to you like with the stingray it's just bass mid and treble but depending on the song if something's a little bit more vintage i can maybe leave the bass at 12 maybe leave the treble at 12 and then smack the mids up really high and get that really like honky tone which kind of suits really well and then when the more contemporary kind of rock stuff shows up bring the bass and the treble up bring the mid back down to 12 and it's very scooped and very bright and that's just that's just on the bass, but on a preamp pedal like your Badwater, for example, you've got you've got more well, you've got more knobs to play with, Matt, is what I'm saying here. So you can mess with those more fundamental frequencies and mess with the filtering and you can really hone it down from gig to gig. So I think yeah. that's very that's very useful. And also, let's be honest, if you if you're not one of those people who wants to go, okay, this is a Motown gig, I'm gonna do this, this is a pop gig, I'm gonna do this. Just set it to where it sounds nice once, then go, okay, yeah, I'll just leave it here. This is fine. So you can, yeah, be, as, cool you can be as picky as you want. And that's it. And with the preamp pedal as well, you don't have to have it on all the time. So if mm. there's a certain part of the signal that you want, you can just level them so they sound at the same volume. You can go front of house, you know, 
part for half the gig through it just you know bypass the preamp essentially and then turn it on when you want that like scoop sound or you want that like super trebly sound or you know really bass boosted whatever you want so again it just it allows you to have like a one-stop shop almost for a, a particular part of the set or you know a song in particular that you don't want to be starting to mess with your bass settings whilst you're trying to start a song and all of these things just like it lets you to kind of get on with the song and you just press one button and it gives you that sound that you need it's often more of a visual cue as well because when you're looking at a pedal, you can see up bass, yeah, or up treble, yeah, or whereas on the bass, sometimes if I'm looking down, I'm like, especially on a stingray, I can never remember. I know where the mid is because it's in the middle. Um, the bass and the treble, I always get them mixed up, which end they're on, and I'm like, oh, 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 and and you can't see it always, you know, if it's just like a, a whole chrome knob, mm. you can't always see where it's at. So often, if you're trying to do things quickly, it's easiest to just have it on your board ready to go yeah 100 percent. and they're um, not always the same you know like i've got and my active bass doesn't have like the stereotypical um kind of onboard eq settings that you'd expect so the it's got like some of the controls are stacked and then it has like a blend where you'd expect bass to be and stuff like that so you like sometimes oh. on the fly you, you sometimes on the fly you're thinking oh, i'm gonna tweak the bass up a little bit and actually i'm just going towards the bra- uh, jazz you know bridge pickup and i'm thinking oh, this, sounds, <laughs> yeah. this is the opposite <laughs> like, of what i wanted <laughs> <laughs> I've never what, what gigged with a bit. Yeah, what bass is that? That's the uh, ESP Horizon I've got. <laughs> Scumbag ESP. No, it's my really, really nice uh, ESP Horizon custom uh, five string, which is color bass. But I, again, it's one of those things because I'm a big passive guy. I generally tend to gravitate towards one of my passive basses more, which is a real shame because from a playing perspective, it's actually one of my best players. I'm, I'm pro- might actually gut the preamp out of it at some point. But um, mm. yeah, it's just that thing of it's visually, it's not the easiest one to use on the fly and because it's so blacked out as well all the knobs are black as well and there's no real like indent in, like the, the indent is just a little yeah. dot that's been like you know kind of grooved into the knob so you, on a dark stage you just don't know where you are at all you're like am i blended here am i like on you know where oh, am I right, on this? yeah yeah i've never gigged with a bass that has lots of active options my the, i own the own one i mean i own i own free active bases but only gig with the stingray and that's just bass, middle, and treble. And mm-hmm. I, I can remember what order they're in, and I don't really touch them that often. But yeah, having something like uh, that Ibanez SRM thingy that I tried out a few years ago, that had something like a blend, a volume, a tone, but the tone only worked when it was in a passive mode. Yeah, I've had one. Bass, mid, treble, and then a mid-frequency sweep on-off yeah. switch. You know, those those a lot. that's a lot of things to remember when you're on a dark stage. Yeah covered in sweat and then going oh wait what's this and then you're just messing with the tone control it's in that's not even active yeah. anyway it, it's like some of the ding walls that i've played like they've got like a rotary switch for the pickup selector and yeah, yeah the yeah. canadian ones the canadian ones are better but the import ones you don't always know unless you're listening out for it you don't quite know which pickup you're on and then you've mm. got like um you know you can have the eq and then you've got volume and you and then, and then with some of the canadian ones as well you can do like you know um passive uh series and parallel switching and then you've got passive switches and all these things and you end up with like three or four switches and then like a rack of knobs for like you know high mid low mid you know because there's so many different preamps you can put in them as well so sometimes you've got like six knobs you can have a six-way selector for the pickups and then you've got all this it just ends up becoming i end up just putting on one position and just putting on passive mode because i'm like i just don't want to deal with the yeah. hassle of trying to like tweak this eq to make something good i'm just gonna get one setting and make sure that that works yeah. for like 90 percent what i need a rack of knobs that sounds like one hell of a barbecue god god, <laughs> god to have that was my to nickname have in college 
<laughs> have six knobs. Oh my god! <laughs> Imagine, um, amazing. Well, I think we've done a, a, a above and beyond answer on, on that one. I think that's great. Um, yeah, for me, I think overall we're we're on team preamp pedal. I think. Yeah, go um, for it. Yeah, Nothing wrong with active that. Active or not, just just do what you want, isn't it? You know, don't let us tell you what to do, but definitely do that. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to the next section. Time. Every flipping time. I haven't got any paper to rustle. I've got a... Oh, Star Wars Christmas card. Welcome to the news. It's time for the news. Um, Now, I kind of predicted that it was going to get a little lo- lose? A little news light uh, leading up to Christmas. As I don't know. It's weird that lots of people launch things around Christmas, but actually instruments, probably not the Christmas market, maybe. I don't know. Um, so, but we have had a few releases. Um, so we'll start things off over at Fender. So Fender have released uh, a new finish for the American Ultra, um, just the P bass though. Um, and you know we're three British boys, and this is going to upset us because this one is uh, only a US exclusive for Guitar Center. So obviously we don't. We don't have a guitar center over here, which is very sad. Um, but, you know, a bit like sometimes Andertons will do special colors of Squires and things like that. Um, they've done a special run for guitar center for the new Umbra Burst. Does that mean anything to either of you? Umbra? Umbra Burst. Nice. No, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything no. to me. What does that, that mean? What? What I don't know. No, I have no it's idea what that means. Burst. I mean, it looks really nice. I really like it. It looks lovely. It's basically like a insane flame, like almost like a translucent flame body. And then, um, like it's on fire almost, you know, like a, a red burst around the outside. I've never seen one like it before, to be fair. Um, and then... I think it's all with black pickguards, uh, chrome hardware, and then a black matching headstock, which is, which is really cool. Um, the American Ultra, you know, is there some of the top end fenders that isn't custom shop that you're getting. Um, so I think it's cool that they've brought out in some some new colours. Um, they are like in dollars, it is two thousand eight hundred dollars, which it's quite a lot. <laughs> Um, and again, you're getting all this active preamp stuff on there that you're doing, but a modern D profile neck as well. I assume that this, all these specs are standard to the, the normal ones. It is just a different finish, but they've done it across the, the strat, two strats, uh, and a telly as well. So there we go. Thanks. Thanks Fender. I mean, thanks a lot Fender for not giving it to us. There we go. Um, second up we have uh, two new signature models. Um, the first of which being from our friends at Music Man. Um, they brought out a Stingray for Mike Herrera. Uh, are you guys familiar with Mike Herrera at all? Yeah, I am. I feel like I am, but I can't think where I know him from. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, so he is the bass player for um, MXPX. Mm. Um, so he is a... Um, you know, pretty much always playing with a pick kind of guy, punk rock. Um, and yeah, just right up a, you know, you can, I can hear that tone now. Um, traditionally, he often has his stingrays passive, though, interestingly, uh, which, you know, you'd think that that would take away that signature stingray sound. 
maybe he's running a preamp pedal though i don't know um and yeah it what he's released it's kind of what we've seen him using over the last couple of years it is a seafoam green stingray with like the weird band logo um, like the head um on the pit guard uh, and then with a matching headstock as well the maple neck and then they've also got uh, a like a matte black version as well how many do you think they've limited the run to of the matte black version how many would it be a sensible number oh yeah the sensible number uh i reckon they've done something silly like 31 matt what do you think i'm gonna say 100 10 <laughs> what there are 10. Oh, I love it. You know what's and... really good about this? You know what's really... And I, and I say this with love because I love Stingrays so much. Like, Tim Comerford is one of my favorite bass players by oh, far. Oh, here you go. This bass is just over 2,200 pounds and it's got dummy knobs on it. What? The knobs don't work. Oh, of course. Oh, because it's... Do you know what? I wondered about that. It's dummy knobs. Because it's passive. Yeah. So it's this, not even like this a, looks cool, like a volume and a tone on it, though. It says no. it says here having the appearance of a traditional two-band EQ Stingray. The Herrera yeah. Stingray's pickup is actually wired straight to the jack with three dummy knobs. Wow, yeah, not even a right. volume. What are they no. doing at the moment with all these like oh, one I know and what zero guys, guys, guys? I know what they've done. Don't worry, I fixed it. Um, it's a collaboration with Dark Glass and all of the controls are on the back. <laughs> Open up that cavity. There you go. There it all is. Yeah, it's just a trim pot. Um, it's just yeah. a trim pot, mate. That you need a, a specific... Sorry, let me... Oh, it's too loud. To, uh, yeah. It's too loud. Let me just uh, disassemble my entire pedal board. No, we did this last week. Let's stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Now, I, you know... I kind of get it. Like, it's a cool thing. Like, yeah, I, oh, well, I never use it, so why would I bother? Um, and for a signature model, yeah, you're going you're gonna to design what you use. Um, but for, like, a production model, is that any use to anybody? I wonder why <laughs> they bother making them for, for people to buy. If, number one, obviously they're so inaccessible because they make 10 and they cost, like, three grand. And then, two, if they're just not really going to be usable to 90% of I wonder if they're going to be like a launch edition where it's like, here's 10. These are like, you know, the boy Roy, exactly how um, Mike would have it. And then, you know, they do like a limited run of say like 200 or something where they're like, yeah, it's just the right color and it looks the same, but actually it's a proper stingray. Yeah, that, I mean, that would make sense, but it doesn't seem like there's any kind of indication that they're doing that. It also, so takes, it also takes four months to get to you, just so you know. Um, also, though, just regarding the dummy knobs, um, yeah, I think it's a bit silly, because I remember um, when I was a teenager, ESP brought out the James Hetfield truckster Les Paul-shaped single-cut, like, guitar, and that had um, what you, what looked like to be two pickup selectors, one was like a Les Paul one, and then one was at the bottom. And um, one of them was a dummy one. But instead of having... Because James Hetfield just said he never used the net pickup. But they still put it in, and they built another um, pickup selector on the bass. So it still was a usable guitar to someone who wanted to have access to a net pickup, 
But mm. James was like, well, I'm never going to use it, so let's just leave it on the production model anyway. And I imagine they probably got the tech to, like, you know, dewire it, for example. But that seems like a sensible thing to do. But dummy pots just seems like... I don't know, unless you're an, a, you know, a really big fan of like Mike's playing and you want super authentic, that's cool. But I think if I bought something like a Stingray, I mean, the active preamp on my Stingray is like one of my favorite things about the bass. It changes so much of the bass for me. So buying something like this that then doesn't have access to it, I'd be like, oh, great. And it's not cheap either. Let's be honest. No. It's, well, I'm sorry to say, it's uh, the black one is sold out, Chris, so you, you won't be getting one anytime soon. Well, I'm not surprised. Do, they only made 10 of them. For... <laughs> Mike probably and got all, all 10 coming of them. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mike's probably got all 10 of them. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, he just gave one to like, his postman, the guy you like, he gets eggs from. I don't know. He's going to do a rig rundown, you know, where they're like, oh, what are you taking on this tour? And he's like, oh, I've got 10 of these. Yeah, I've yeah. Got, oh, get pre- the gu- all... premier guitar. <laughs> They're all tuned to semitone different. But, yeah. Actually, actually, that wouldn't happen because I've noticed recently premier guitar have like stopped doing rig rundowns for bass players. Uh, it's really, really like right, so... boiled my blood. I know. So, but then they, sometimes they'll do a combined one with a guitarist, and I'm like, oh, please, no, and I'll like skip not. through the video and be like, ah. Oh. No, you get so three just minutes at the end, whereas tech shows you a P-Bass. Yeah, it's just a P-Bass and a Sans amp. Um, yeah, just they, go uh, straight in, that's it, really. No, nah, no, nah, they just did one with... Um, oh, what's the guitarist of Foo Fighters called? It Chris Shiflett. I think yeah. it's pretty, yeah. Him, and they didn't do anyone else. It was just him. And it was a good video, to be fair, but they've just done one with um, Corey and Matt Heafy from Trivium. And I was like, oh, buzzing. Right, okay. Um, I want to see Paolo's bass rig because I've seen Trivium live. And all, every time I've seen them live, either at a festival or their own gig, I've gone, that bass sounds amazing. And guess what? They've just not interviewed him. I oh, okay. It really bugs me on those. Um, and I know, I know it's, you know, it's probably a scheduling thing. And it, I hate it when the techs do it. And like, oh, I hate I it. it. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I you love know, it. Something like that. Like, really? Yeah, because they're so like, you know, Fair enough, you're playing, say, like, you know, one of us had a rig run down. You're playing the bass for, like, you know, say an hour a night. Your tech is there five hours of the day going through all your gear, <laughs> making sure bat lines <laughs> pop But, yes, to Matt, because there is a Premier Guitar rundown with the Edges guitar tech, and it's amazing because the guy clearly knows everything. He knows the rig inside, outside, and back to front. It's amazing. Same the Meshuggah one. I haven't seen the Meshuggah one, but there's a there's a one with Sinister Gates from Revenge Sevenfold. And the guy is obviously a great guitar tech, but someone else built the rig and yeah. he doesn't know anything about it. And at one point he he makes some weird throwaway comment about how like just go on like a quip board or something like that to see what he's using. And I'm like, This is your job <laughs> <laughs> I I I actually I totally know what you mean because um, it's the it's the middle ground that I hate when the artist is there doing it and then every question they're going I, I don't know oh, that's uh, uh, too, yeah. and, and then they have to come in and be like it's it's a jazz bass and they're like oh <laughs> it's a oh, bass you know like they, they have no idea oh yeah about no, any, I, like yeah. even the simplest things they're no like, I want the one I don't where... know what strings these are 
I want the one where it's like it's the artist and it's almost like you can tell they've sat in a garage with the guitar tech for six weeks going, do I want a boost at 2.8K or 2.9K? Hmm. You know, like proper, I want it to be like, I want to back out of it because it's too nerdy. I want to be the one to like sort of like do the safe word and tap out. <laughs> Matt's like that's my realm. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I, I think that's... part of it though is that we're all gear nerds, so we're like, yeah. oh, I want to know what strings you're using. I want to know what pickups you got. Blah blah blah. Like some people about. are just tools, you know. What I mean, not not people, but some <laughs> some people are just tools. Like that guy who was trolling you in the chat the other night. Yeah, but, yeah, right. No, but some people, like you know, for them, it's like any bass is just um, a way for me to make sound. And so, yeah. like, I don't really care. It's like, it does the job of me being able to play these root notes under a guitar player. And some people are like, this is my the embodiment of me being creative. So, like, or some people just like collecting stuff. So, you know, for us three, it's easy for us to go, yeah, I want this because I want to know all the ins and outs because for us, it's interesting. But we're not looking at it from, like, a tool perspective. We're looking at it from just being, like, you know, gear whores, essentially. So, so I think right. there's... I'll take that title. (laughs) You'll have to take it off me. (laughs) You're definitely right, though, because there are are musicians out there who will, you know, if you treat it from, like, a tradesman perspective, there are people who, there are tradesmen out there who just goes, this is a screwdriver, this is a hammer, that's it. And then there'll be other people who'll go, this is a aluminium screwdriver with a a blah, 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 uh, tone pump preamp. <laughs> um, and it's got this, and I'm running. I'm running this mm. screwdriver into a into um, architect archetype nolly and all that kind of stuff. So I guess yeah. I mean there are and there are, you know there are going to be musicians out there like big musicians, you know, like arena touring bands who are just like, hmm, and that's literally yeah. it. But then you're also going to get those ones who are like, we you know this band has been around for thirty years, and I've spent thirty years every night going up to the front of house engineer and going. Give me the recording of the bass. And yeah. I was trying a new pedal out. I need to know what it was like. I mean, that would be me, which is probably why every sound guy I gig with hates me. Because I'm like, <laughs> how did the bass sound? Because I decided to boost the mids on this one. And they're like, mate, you were soloed. No, you were muted the entire time. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> I, I don't uh, know. You, you were a backing track, buddy. <laughs> yeah, a dream. I <laughs> get paid though, right? <laughs> You get paid? Just a body on a stage. Yeah. Wait, you guys are getting paid? <laughs> what? I'm doing it wrong. Um, so, moving on to our third bit of news. Um, we have another signature bass um, from Charvel. We, I, don't, I don't think we've ever featured Charvel on the show. Um, I played my first Charvel like, a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was fine. Um, this is the. <laughs> That's a really good setup for That's this a great endorsement of Charvel. Yeah, can't yeah. wait for this. It was it was <laughs> distinctly in the middle of the road average. <laughs> it was the unmemorable. One... <laughs> the one singular time I've played the bass in that company, I've just plastered that across all of them. They're fine. <laughs> um, so this one, hope you know, hopefully it's a lot better than that one. Um, is the Frank Bello signature Pro Mod SoCal Bass PJ4. Um, yeah, it's, it's Frank Bello from Anthrax. It's his signature uh, PJ bass, essentially. It looks a bit like 
they've gone with a like that tally based look with the pit guard that goes all up the the two horns uh but with a p it's like a modern version of that i'd say mm. um mixed with a geddy lee jazz bass with your yeah with it's and i love that look high mass bridge on there block inlays black body although it is a mirror pick guard instead of a white one is it? um and then yeah it's it's super classy looking i think i think when you think charvel you might instantly think like i don't know like i i think of 80s hair metal for some reason yeah um, it's that vibe isn't it their, yeah when you look at their guitars it is quite they're quite loud a lot of them but then you know we've got the san dimas ones now from the bases as well which are a bit more tame in fact in the i'm just looking at their website now the bases are actually very tame apart from one of the colors um but they're like more traditional and this is actually only they only do three other bases and then frank bellow's signature one so i think that's quite interesting that i love this them. i love this everything. Is, i just want to say i, I love this <laughs> i love everything about this bass genuinely like frank bellow is one of my favorite bassists i love how this bass is kind of like a for me, when I saw it, I know you said you said Geddy Lee, which I think is a bang on comparison because it's got that maple neck with the block inlays and it's kind of like a little bit of a jazz style in slightly. I know the body's a bit more P-shaped, but this reminds me more of like Phil Lynott from Finn Lizzie. I was going to say Phil Lynott. Yeah, yeah, the mirror pit guards. And yeah. um, I've, I know a little bit about what the Frank Bellow signature P pickups are based on. Mm. So they're based on the standard emg pj set which i own but i believe they've just trebled them up a little bit more um okay. and i i love those pickups in 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 my they're in my Eurodyne and they used to be in the godan and i only took them out of the godan because i didn't need the godan to be like a hot contemporary rock i wanted it to be a bit more vintage but yeah this is great like i really like frank bellow he's one of my one of my favorite bass players I think it's a good price as well. It's um, it's thirteen hundred dollars, yes. so I think that's about eleven hundred pounds. It's because yeah. they're um, a... they're saving you some money for a preamp pedal because you've got no tone scaping. It's coping complex. There we go. <laughs> well, yeah, because because there's a lot of all my bases that have EMG pickups in it, active, don't have um, sculpting options on the base. It's like they do something to it, and then you get the option to do the tone like a passive bass, which is, there's certainly advantages and disadvantages to it, for sure. Well, it's just like giving it an extra, its own sound, you know. It's just some own way. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We'll move um, on to you, Matt. But, but in short, um, I think, I, I love it. 10 out of 10 for me. I would really like to try one. Ooh, that's a big, big score. Wow. Okay, wait, hang on, hang on. 10 out of 10 is a bit harsh. Um, I just shit 8.5 out of 10. <laughs> 8.5 that's nice. a good score still i i, I would I, absolutely love to try one yeah for sure i mean like, i want to try every bass that's the thing like I, you can show me like a squire like you know affinity squire uh, jazz bass or something like, yeah i'll try yeah. it but this one. this is definitely a vibe and like the the only criticism i have of this is that it doesn't have any tone control so it's just two volumes mm. and bridge and mm. um p p middle and a jazz bridge are definitely a vibe with just two volumes because i had a 66 mustang with that setup and it was phenomenal but as a do it all workhorse i would have liked the tone control on this just because i think the pj setup is so intrinsic to like any good kind of 
covers function setup or just like as a you know a general workhorse that will do any recording session you realistically need and i would have just like that tone to be able to take some of that treble out if it needs it or i know you're not buying this bass necessarily for that and you know you probably are playing kind of like heavier genres where you're really just having your tone wide open anyway but i think just from a versatility point of view for people buying it it would have it would have been a good choice just to put a tone cap in there somewhere yeah and like it's interesting isn't it because what what do they what's the tar, what's their aim when they put out a signature model for someone because they they want to sell these and that's going to be a big point you know that's going to put a lot of people off i would have thought i well mm, I'm I'm going back and forth with this because I say that, but like you said, a lot of people are probably going to be into Anthrax and going to be playing thrash metal. See, uh, I think using this, so maybe the target audience is, you know, it, it's correct to to not have the tone on there. Um, but you're potentially alienating people. I mean, they're not going to be upset if it is on there. I suppose my point is, yeah, because you don't need um, to use it. And I think for eight nine nine, this isn't really aesthetically pleasing, like nice looking good pj base and i think that you know there are going to be people who aren't into anthrax and look at that and go that looks awesome that's gonna look great mm. on stage with a mirror pick guard i love the block inlays oh no it doesn't yeah. have a tone i'm not gonna be able to play you know whatever dubby song or you know i'm not gonna be able to play angel by shaggy at the local oh. boozer so <laughs> i think that that is gonna be like a bit of a you know it's kind of they've shot themselves in the foot at the audience because you know again at that price range you're into mexi p money and stuff like that you're not into you know you might get a second hand us fender for that or like a mij one or something like that but you know you're not really into new fender us money yet you you are kind of in that like mid-tier fender price bracket <clears throat> and i think that could have been a real competitor for say something like a player series p base or you know pj or something like that and i just think that actually the fenders are probably a little bit more versatile mm. well this is why and like signature bases is a whole topic in in above itself but that's why i really think that i want to see more affordable signature models and i think it was um i'm sure i've spoken about this before but um i remember pete wentz doing an interview and they were like oh why why squire and he was like i want kids to be able to like pick up and play and like have a good bass endorsed by someone that they you know that my my fan base can go and get one yeah absolutely. not just have it be this insane custom shop thing that nobody can afford and that's something i i miss i want them to do more of that because that's the whole ethos or at least i would want to do you know um but i suppose you know it's a different way of thinking about it really depends what you want to get out of it and this one sits in the middle of that price range doesn't it where it's 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 i think it's really it's not price. an obtainium exactly it's not five grand or you know four grand or whatever it's going to be and going back to what you're saying about squire as well squire had that kind of era in the like noughties where they were just churning out some absolutely killer sig bases the mikey way metal flake mustang is one of my all-time mm. favorite sig bases because it just looks absolutely it's if anyone hasn't seen it please google it but it's a massive flake silver mustang short scale with a massive like base like mud bucker thing in the middle yeah. and then and then it's got a comp stripe as well which is just like my all-time favorite thing on a base so like it's just the coolest coolest sig base and like they only made them for like a year or two and then they just have disappeared and they're so hard to find now 
And again, yeah. go back to what you say in the Pete Wentz P. That was a killer one as well. Um, there was another really good P one. I can't remember whose sig it is. It's a white Mike one. Mike Dunn did one. Y- yeah, uh, yeah, Mike oh. Dunn did one as well. But um, now I'm thinking of like, it's like a white P and I think it's got a black pit guard. I can't remember whose one it was. It, it looked very Ramonesy, but it wasn't. Mm. Um, I can't remember whose Ooh, thing it was. Yeah, now. I'm thinking of it too. Oh. I can't think of it was. Um, I know Matt Freeman. Oh yeah, Matt Freeman. Yeah, one. yeah, it might like be the Matt Freeman one. one. Yeah, I think it is. And Matt everybody Freeman. raves about that one. Yeah, I think it is that one. So yeah, that era of Sigs for Squire, and again, you know, they knew. It's so funny that they're way more expensive secondhand than they were new now because they're so cool. But like, you know, knew you could probably pick them up like three hundred quid, three hundred fifty quid. You know, sub four hundred quid for sure. And now, if you find one of those Mikey Way ones, a lot of the time they're like eight hundred quid because they're yeah. so cool and so rare yeah. and yeah i totally agree with you but i will say that i think sig gear falls into two things there's the accessibility side of things which i absolutely commend and think that people should be able to get an affordable cool way of getting excited by an instrument especially if you're a young person you see a band that inspires you and you want to look like that guy or you know play like that guy or get that sound and you know you you can afford three or four hundred quid for Christmas or, you know, if you save up your pocket money or whatever, that is awesome. But I think there's another side to SIGs, which I think we'll probably get onto later, which is you are like a working musician or you're like a gigging musician or, you know, you're a big session guy and you need something specifically designed to cater to the sonic requirements of your projects. And I think sometimes that's where that element goes into the other side of things where you're building something for a very specific purpose. And I think that's when the SIGs become more expensive because you're going outside the normal remit of, you know, the tooling is different because you're having to change pickup placement or you're adding a ton of onboard electronics or you've completely changed the neck profile to be your perfect neck profile because you're doing 200 gigs a year. Or you're adding carbon rods because you're touring from, say, India to Alaska and the humidity and temperature changes would just ruin like a normal neck. So I think there's two elements to SIG stuff. And I think, again, I really respect and admire people who can do that affordable thing. But I also think there's an element of you have, you know, if you're given the opportunity, you should be able to tailor something to your exact spec. Unless your exact spec is actually just you just love P-bases and want to put cool finish on it, which is absolutely valid as well. But yeah, I think it's an interesting convo. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm sure we'll we'll cover it in a full question or, or on this podcast. I think there's so much to be said, and you you make such a valid point. I think because actually, going back to Pete Wentz, he ain't using that signature Squire on it on tour anymore, you know, or like, or he might have done for a little bit, or or not the actual production model. He's got his own modded version, you know. Yeah, or he's got a custom shop. <laughs> yeah yeah um so it's like a, a budget version of it so i think there's yeah there's there's definitely different angles and it's not to say that any you know oh you're you're wrong for making an expensive one you uh you know it comes under what the artist wants to get out of it at the end of the day yeah for sure wow but then that was some exciting news i think for for a new a week that i thought was going to be not very news heavy it's pretty news heavy i liked it let's move on to our second question. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Question two. Can you play a short scale as your main base? Now, no. I, I can't no. answer this yes, because can. I've never played a short scale base ever in my entire life. Johnny, you have. Nope, never played one. You played my Squire Basics uh, no, I didn't. three or four weeks ago. No, I didn't. didn't touch it. <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, actually, no, no, and, seriously. And he loved it. it. I didn't play it. Did you not? No. I thought he did. I never got around to it. Because oh, everyone else in the wow. room was like, oh, it's got six strings, but it's like a bass. Oh, what no, part is well done. I've absolutely lied to everyone and he didn't play it. So sorry. Oh. Everyone. But also, no, as you know, Matt, I did spend all the afternoon going... This ding wall is amazing. <laughs> yes, that did happen. And that's the opposite of a short scale because it's super long scale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very, it's about four miles longer than short scale. <laughs> right, well... Um, Some might say I'm, you're compensating. but And you would be absolutely <laughs> correct. Um, I've never played a short scale bass. Uh, Johnny, you have played a short scale bass. Have you ever gigged with a short scale bass? I've never gigged with a short scale bass. Mm. Um, so... I, I feel a bit underqualified to say if you could, because, I mean, of course you could. Like, there's nothing to say. There's no rules in any of this at the end of the day. You could absolutely, you know, have that as your main base because it's got a certain sound to it and feel. And if that is up your alley, then that is going to be what you use. Um, I think, I guess what this question is more kind of aimed at is like if you're if you're using multiple different bases maybe, are you going to use that as your main one or the others? For me, I, I personally prefer a long scale um, overall um, because I tend to A, hit quite hard um, and B, uh, yeah, hit it quite hard. Um, so I, I like to have that slightly bigger tension and I just, you know, overall, that's where I'm at home in that feel. And the songs and genres I'm playing don't often call for a short scale, I don't think. Um, so I, yeah, I, uh, for me, yes, you can, but I don't, um, what are you thinking, Matt? Well, so this is a really interesting question for me, um, because again, like you, I often have preferred long scales, but I have gigged a lot of short scales as well. So everything from kind of like hollow body epiphones, um, they're kind of art core, you know, jazz, big jazz body type looking things. Um, I've had uh, two music master basses, like vintage music masters. I've had a 1966 uh, Fender Mustang as well. Uh, and obviously, going back to what we were talking about earlier, my new Voronsaku is a short scale five. Um, mm. So I think you absolutely can gig a short scale as your main bass. I would say they do have some kind of like tonal characteristics which make them slightly different and either better or worse for certain things. But again going back to a preamp pedal you can 
you can tweak a lot of these characteristics almost out and have it just as kind of like a you know any signal will do almost vibe so i find that the fundamental note of a short scale is much bassier than something like a 34 inch and i find that the treble response usually is a bit um it decays quicker because there's less string tension so actually what that means is you get a less bright treble it like warms up the treble strings a little bit so actually overall i find that they sound a little bit more balanced you don't get that kind of like slightly thin sounding g sometimes you know you can mm. go into that d territory where they kind of don't sound as full as the bottom end so i think from a short scale perspective you you get a bit more balance in terms of you know i guess dynamics across all of these strings when they're open especially from a comfort point of view i think they're probably easier for people with smaller hands to play i've actually got quite big hands but i get a lot of wrist issues so i find that um if i'm playing something like a 35 inch bizarrely i don't get this on like ding walls and stuff like that but on a 35 inch i start to get or i can get some like wrist pain um so i think that if you've got any kind of like rsi or arthritis or anything like that tendonitis short scale can help and i think if you're a guitar player moving over to bass or you're kind of younger like a you know like young teenager or kid short scales again just help help you to navigate the fretboard a little bit easier i think that if you are hoping to use a short scale as your kind of main squeeze have a little think about the pickup configuration because for me it makes a massive massive difference for short scales even though the space generally between the pickups is less because you've got so much less string tension and scale for me they have a lot to play in terms of your overall kind of like sonic palette you've got available so one of my favorite ones is the, like the new mustang range i have a piano j because i think that short scale that works super killer i think the jazz bridge on like a say something like a mustang now gives you almost all of that jazz tone you still get a very bright kind of you know push back towards a bridge sound and if you turn the tone off you still get quite like a scooped sound which is like really good for like fast lines and stuff especially if you've got like flat lines on it and i think that you know uh i i, I don't see a single problem unless you're playing this is where it gets controversial because i think if you're playing metal short scales might not necessarily be the one but I am going to caveat that with the bass I've just had built for me is a short scale five that I drop tune and it sounds absolutely immense. So it's all to do with the setup and the configuration. If you're going custom built, you can basically build any of the foibles out of a short scale and just have this super cool, super reliable kind of, you know, bass that you can throw around a bit. And that's one of the things I do like about short scales on stage. They're just a bit easier to navigate that you can really kind of like throw them around and have like a, you know, if you're, someone who's quite um movement heavy <laughs> on stage you throw your bases around a bit yeah short scales are just like ones that you know you can really kind of like muscle around and generally the bodies are smaller as well so they're a bit lighter better on the back if you've got a long gig the only yeah. thing is strings can be difficult to source good strings um although a little hack is if you you can't you can use long scale strings on a short scale you just have to pinch them first and then cut them down to size so that the core doesn't slip but i actually use long scale strings on mine so yeah all about short scales definitely think you could use one for every gig that was like matt we should have you each week for matt's top tips corner <laughs> or something it's like there's there's so much in there for people like to take a on, um, I think. like a podcast weatherman on your left, see <laughs> short scale bases are coming in quite heavy in the east. <laughs> it's uh, the the Parker Pocket, we'll call it. <laughs> Love it. Doing a little uh, like seventies <laughs> game show theme tune. 
love it. Incredible. Um, with short scales, um, yeah, I definitely think that for me they give you like a different vibe. Like I play differently on a short scale than I would on a on a long scale, um, and just the kind of things, um, the, not just from the playability, from the sound as well. Like I love, I absolutely love picking up that short scale just off the wall and that's the that's my noodle machine now you know that is the go-to for that and sometimes sometimes you need that in your life sometimes you need to say this just like oh, i'm just gonna pit up five minutes oh and it's just so much fun to i don't know what it is it's the the lesson lessened is that the right word the the, the strings aren't so tight like you know uh so that lessens string tension that's what i'm looking for got my brain after having that hot sauce the last week, it's just like scrambled my mind, I think. Um, it's it's just so much easier to pick up and play on a whim, I think. Um, or even if you're having a lazy day and you just want to jam on it. I absolutely love it. And it's just a creativity machine for me now. So, yeah, I think big fan of short scales. I think that's it. Like physically, they're less demanding often. So you can just pick them up and kind of just noodle away. And like, you know, say you've got something that's like quite an intensive or like, you know, note heavy line often I will pick up a short scale and learn it on a short scale and then once I've got the notes under my fingers I'll move it over to a long scale just mm. like if I if I need that kind of you know additional string tension or a bit of clank or something like that but I tend to find that as well because because they sonically are different and again I find that they're more bassy they make me play with like a lot more space because they decay mm-hmm. the note decays a lot quicker so you can like really play with like the backbeat a little bit like you know in terms yeah. you're not getting like additional overtones ringing out all the time i think is it like you get a fifth above when you listen to an overtone of like a string you get like a fifth above i think which is like kind of half of the note that you hear but with the short scales you don't get as much of that i'm, I'm i think that's the interval i can't really remember but you you get less of that which means that actually the note decays a lot quicker and what you're hearing more of is like actually like you know the fundamental which is like you know your opening or whatever your a on the fifth or something like that so that for me then gives you that kind of like breathing room in between notes and i think if you've got like a you know quite like a staccato touch touch with like st- st- like very shortened notes you can get a really funky sound out of a short scale that's you... exactly what i was about to say yeah. it's like that staccato playing it really draws out of you naturally yeah 100%. and you're right it's because of that faster decay it therefore sounds better when you're doing more of those kind of um the smaller you know notes and not like long drawn out bits 100 percent Nice. Well, Chris, uh, when are you getting a short scale? I mean, as a man who's five foot ten on a good day, I probably should try one. But um, yeah, I mean, there's no prejudice apart from towards the base six. But apart from that, I've uh, I don't even know. It sounds good. Why do I slag it off? Every time I've heard one, I've gone, "This is really good." Um, I've just never tried one. Genuinely, there's never been one at a gig. I've never been in a music shop where I've seen one and gone, you know what, I will give it a go. I think it's just coincidence, to be honest. Um, I mean, I hear nothing but good things. And I've heard yours, Matt. I've heard yours, Johnny. And they they all sound good. So, don't I've know. had exactly the same with like with Warwick basses. Where people are like, what, you've never played one? I'm just like, yeah. never Never had Neither a chance. I, I don't know why. Same, same with Rickenbackers. And, and Matt, you, you've had a lot. I yeah, never, never, never played one. Oh, but you, but, but Johnny, you you try basses out so much more than I do. Like I mm. I 
I, I never try bases. Like, genuinely. Like, I think it's because That's if I try so one I really cool. like, I, I'll end up buying it. Like, after I'm, when I met up with Matt and I got to play the NG2, I must have spent the rest of the week on eBay going, well, there's one in Cardiff for uh, Grand. <laughs> And there's one in Nissan Micro. I should have got a finder's fee for that because I showed a couple of people that who I knew were looking for one, and like it sold in like an hour because I sent it yeah. to someone and they went and bought it. Because I went back, yeah. I, I went back looking for it, thinking, because mm, I've got some things coming up where sort of maybe extended scale might be a good idea. And I also, I also don't own a five shrink, like in any way, I don't own one. So I thought, well, you don't have a five shrink. And you also don't have anything that's like kind of extended scale gent machine. Mm. But um, no, just never bothered. And then it was gone, obviously. It was going to at that price, though. Oh, a thousand pounds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you're we listening. Definitely... <laughs> yeah, if you're listening, Dingwall, please all send us all NGs. Yeah, I've had so many Dingwalls, as you know, and they're just such killer. I mean, that B, that B is that just was ridic- so it, it was... good. Like I, I pick really hard, um, and it was just amazing having that that NG two detuned in A, and just absolutely caning it. And the fact that normally a note tuned like that will go a little bit sharp, a little bit flat, and then it will come up. But you'll hear that little hump as it comes up. That ding wall was literally like, "Now nah, what else you got? Take me down to F sharp, you mm-hmm. son of a gun! You won't stop you me." Can- you can tune them down to F sharp on stock strings. Like that's how good the tension is. It's Mental. just like you can get crazy lows on like a yeah. one thirty. It's nuts. Or there's a there's a reason why they're so popular. Like I, a little part of me wanted to be like, don't believe the hype. But then when I tried it, I was like, yeah, I can see why everybody wants one mm-hmm. of these now. This is quite good. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, can short scales. Just... <laughs> can we segue back to the basics really quickly? Because I'm. No. For anyone who's listening, <laughs> no, <just> straight. <laughs> on. All right. Well, that well, that was the uh, question. To... <laughs> go on, go on. So then. I am team basics because I feel like often the basics is maligned by people online who don't use it in a way which is kind of um, consummate with bass players. So a lot of the time you hear it played with either strangle switch on, which is like the um, bass cut. And it's been played by guitar players through a guitar rig. And it sounds like a very weird baritone guitar, which has its place and is very cool. But if you play it through a bass rig and you play it like a bass and you're a bass player and you have it all set up how you want it, you've got the strangle switch off and you've got the neck and the middle pickup on with a bit of tone rolled off. It gives you some of the best bass sounds I think I've ever heard. Certainly through front of house. Like I I will take my bass six to function gigs as the only bass and i will do a two-hour function session with just the bass six and i've never had a complaint <laughs> damn it's killer it and they're so much fun like that and it's really funny watching sound guys try and figure out what's coming through like signal wise because they're looking at you playing <laughs> what looks like a jag and then they're like, how is this thing sounding an octave lower than the next guy's guitar <laughs> and they're so much fun like and you know they're relatively inexpensive and i think as a for a bass player who's looking for a really versatile studio tool or a guitar player who wants to do the occasional bit of bass tracking they're just so good because like you know again strangle switch you can play a lead line or do some like you know melody stuff and then you can go and track your bass five seconds later on the same guitar by just flicking Mm. one switch and 
again i think from a studio tool and as just a way of opening up a bit of creativity you know as a basis giving you more sonic options and giving you more ability to play chords and things like that they're just killer and i don't know why i understand why they don't get the praise that they deserve because they don't look like a bass they look like a guitar you know if you're playing it for a guitar rig they don't really sound like a bass a lot of the time and i think people see that and go this is a gimmick when actually if you play uh, go and play one through a bass rig and your mind will be changed i promise so anyway yeah that's my kind of like short love story to the bass six and i hope more people <laughs> if you need a good option for or good reason to go and check out the bass six there's a bass player in uh, america a lady named julie slick and she plays bass sixes as well as normal basses. And she's got an even tied, I think it's an H9 or something like that, pedal. And she does some mind-blowing stuff with bass sixes. And I heard her five years ago and I was like, right, one day I'm going to bass six because that's killer. So anyway, that's enough of me. I'm not going to talk any more about bass sixes. But I'm there to fly the flag. I I'm, I'm feel like I'm the moderator in the middle, like holding you two back from each other. Because <laughs> I... I I'm I'm literally Switzerland in this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I made so one cool. joke. I've, I've had one and it was cool. I made one comment about how I thought it was silly. And I even heard one. I heard one in the room and even said, that sounds amazing. Because it does sound really good. Like when Matt was playing his and, and you sort of, you had the pickups configured like a bass would and we were playing it into a bass amp. I was like, yeah, it sounds literally just like a bass. And I feel like the internet has gone, oh, well, Chris doesn't like them. And then now I can't escape it. And now he doesn't like short scales either. So this guy. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like clickbait title, like short scale players hate him. Learn these five top tips to piss off Chris Horrocks. <laughs> he's going to be like, next he's like, yeah, four strings is too much. Jack only needs one string. <laughs> I mean, famously, um, oh shit, why can't I remember his name? Oh, sorry. Uh, no, Tony Levin. Tony Levin has that famous picture on the oh, Danny Star magazine. Yeah, yeah, Dan- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Danny Higgins. Yeah, um, Stoke on Trent's answer to Tony Levin has that picture. A Charvel with- user as well. Oh, oh, a man of culture. I see. You'll be <laughs> listening. Of- to- he'll be listening to this. Yeah. He'll be fuming now. Um, yeah. Hi, Danny. Love you. We love you. Bye, Hi, Danny. Anyway, um, and it's Tony Levin with uh, a three-string music man because at the time that was when six-string basses sort of first appeared. You know, not like short-scale six-string, but the actual proper, you know, yeah. full-scale ones. And he was like trolling everyone, going, "Well, they need three strings, maybe two. <laughs> hey, I'm all for one. Why not? Why not? Hey, why not all one? For one and one for all. That's going to be my Squire signature that will come out. One <laughs> we do, we do one, need to do, inspire everybody. To we do need it. to do a signature <laughs> base episode. To be fair, yeah, I've oh, planned sure, mine. Sure I've well. planned mine. I've got it ready and banked in the Same. ready oh, to nice. go. Well, speaking of, I guess, kind of signature bases, mm. let's uh, let's move on to our next segment, shall we? So this next segment, uh, we've decided to kind of combine them together. As you know, we would normally do uh, listen to a tone that someone's brought along. And uh, our lovely guest, Matt Parker, has has done just that. Um, But we're also going to talk about, we're going to combine this with the big bass debate this week as we talk about custom basses. Um, Because I want to ask the question, what is it like to 
order a custom base? You know, what's the process? How do you even choose the specs or the the brand? You know, uh, how does this all come about from, from conception to completion? Um, so, Matt, I wonder if you can start us off by, you know, how did this creation come about? And w- what is the creation? Yeah, sure. So for those of you who don't know, um, I recently picked up or I say picked up, it arrived at my door, um, the Vorunsaku MP45. So obviously MP, Matt Parker. Um, it's a short scale five string. Uh, it's an offset body and it's got two Thunderbird pickups in the middle and the bridge position. Hip shot hardware throughout, um, apart from the control plate, which is made by Saku. Um, which is super cool. Uh, and then it's kind of been a bit of a journey, really. So I we were chatting on Instagram anyway, and then he was saying that he was potentially going to come and do the uh, guitar show in Birmingham in February, and he was like, I'd like you to play it for us. If, you know, can I make you a demo bass? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I'd wanted one for ages anyway. Um, so we, we kind of got talking through that, um, and I specced um, a build over a couple of months with him. So it's quite unique in terms of the features you wouldn't usually see in bases, certainly over here. We try and kept, uh, we tried to keep it with kind of like finished woods locally sourced. So it's not stuff like alder and ash. It's actually, um, it's a spruce body. So kind of like uh, what Hofners are made of or any of the Stradivarius violins. It's kind of, if you didn't know, you'd basically think it was probably pine. It's very light. Um, it balances really well. Very, very resonant. Uh, really nice grain structure on it. Uh, it takes nitro really well, which is what the finish is. Um, and then it's got a birch neck, uh, one piece, which it, I played a birch neck before, actually. And it, they're killer. Again, quite quite um, resonant and very lightweight. Um, it's got a compound profile as well as a compound radius. So it's a soft v at the first like you know five frets and it graduates into a fat c so it's actually two different shapes the neck um which is killer um and that was kind of born around i think i mentioned it earlier i've got i get some like wrist pain sometimes and i really like soft v's on like 50 strats and stuff like that so and i like a really fat neck front to back um and then it's got 46.5 mil nut width it's got a compound fretboard with a very slight compound so i think it's nine to ten inch um stainless frets um nitro satin finish on the neck um a three finish nitro body so it's um clear nitro and then chevrolet blue over that and then it has comp stripes like taped off essentially and then it was finished in um a magnolia white which is kind of like an off vintage looking white and then it's um a light relic so it's got like finished checking and a couple of little bits where you can see the blue coming through and stuff like that. But generally, you know, no massive dings and stuff like that. And then just kind of shale the strap locks and stuff like that. I said uh, the bridge tuners and string tree are hip shot. And then the pickups are TB5s, uh, hand wound and handmade by Saku as well. So I think he makes the casings and everything for it as far as I know. Um, and yeah, it kind of just became a bit of a labor of love, really. Um I had very specific things in mind when I spec'd it. So um, I've got a band called Whalebone with Joss Allen uh, on guitar and it's like a Doom project. So kind of contrary to what you'd expect from a metal bass, I wanted it short scale to take some of the treble out. I didn't want it to clank. I wanted it to be all bottom end, 
all kind of low to mid mid <laughs> if that makes sense um i didn't want really tons of treble coming out of it because a lot of that stuff is very you know we tune to b uh b flat standard so like half a step down but some of our stuff does go down as low as drop f um which i unison tune for um uh the bit you're going to hear later on is in um a standard um so again half a step down again from what we normally play in um but because of that and because i'd had a 66 mustang with middle position p pickups and jazz bridge it had been modded i loved that pickup configuration and on a short scale it gives you a really cool um it's, it's difficult to say but basically like in the middle you kind of get that p bassy sound that you'd expect but obviously having something back near the bridge you can also kind of add that kind of like honking that you would get from a jazz but with the tb5 thunderbird style pickups they're they're intrinsically darker anyway so for metal you get tons and tons of low end and again low mid but you don't get as much clank that you would get on maybe something like say a ding wall where you get a lot of that kind of like treble like upper mid yeah type thing going on mm. and that was what i wanted to avoid having had tons of ding walls which are again great i wanted the absolute opposite of that <laughs> so um just because that wasn't the sound i wanted for this project so i spec'd it very much with whalebone in mind that being said because the pickups are darker and you're again going back to that sh short scale staccato type playing it's really cool for like neo soul and like funk stuff as well um so that was kind of the logic behind specking it that way really um it's awesome um saku's just a one guy workshop so from start to finish he literally showed me a picture of some blocks of wood uh, and then the next day showed me blocks of wood kind of cut into squares with a tracing of a base on it <laughs> and then from there we kind of just saw more and more of it like we got to pick up again throughout the build process i got to pick all of the specs including the fret wire size so um i got to pick the depth of the neck front to back the type of fret material and how big the fret wire was the nut width what hardware we were going to do what pickups where the pickups were so that leads me on to what i was going to say about custom building so depending on who you go with your custom experience can be very different so there's like levels of custom build i've had loads and loads of custom builds bases built and some have been to this extent where again i get to pick up play I get to pick where the pickup placement is or how deep the neck is or what frets are going to go on it. And some, like, for example, we say like Sandberg or Dingwall or something like that is you have kind of list models and you can kind of pick some of the electronics in it. Or you can pick the finish. You can pick maybe the neck wood. But stuff like fret sizing, uh, nut width, neck depth, all of that is set in stone for you. You cannot mm. change it so you're still ordering a custom base and you'll get a great product but you don't quite go down the rabbit hole as much as if you're going with kind of like a smaller builder or someone who's kind of more open to building you a base the exact specs you want essentially because you know there's there's economies of scale if you're one person doing it you can spend time doing it whereas if you've got production line of say you need to make 20 bases a day you can't go down that into that amount of depth with each person so I think another thing is that because it was one person I got like really regular updates again because they could give me the time because they were working on say you know I don't know three or four bases probably at a time whereas you know they're not trying to turn over 20 a day or you know 15 a day or 10 or whatever it is so certainly working with Saku was a great experience and super informative we bounced ideas off each other a lot I didn't want this to be a me dictating every bit of spec he's a master luthier he's Finland's youngest master luthier um wow. You know, he's got a ton of knowledge about woods, about kind of 
you know um configurations and stuff like that and we bounced a lot of ideas off each other so stuff that he brought to the table for example i said to him that i'm really into old race cars so he's made the pickup selector like an old racing ignition switch so whilst it's actually neck middle and bridge it's got like a cool on off embossed on the pickup selector which looks incredible and like he he brought that on he was like how do you want the body contours and from a stripped back i wanted it to be as functional as possible but no added jazz essentially so I said, just give me a tummy cut and give me a slab body because I don't want any additional contouring. I just want it to be lean, mean, stripped back, ready to go kind of thing. And he was like, well, we can I can do an absolute hard edge slab body. But if you prefer, I can just make it a bit comfy by rolling the edges. So the body is a slab, but it's actually got rolled edges, almost like, you know, how they roll f- fretboards. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so he brought that to the table. Um some of the stuff that I brought was the pickup sele- uh, p- pick placement because originally we were going to do neck and bridge. And then I said, oh, can we see it with bridge? And at Midland Bridge, just have a look at it and see how it is. We decided to go with that. Um, the reverse headstock was kind of like we've both been thinking that because I wanted a bit of additional length for that low B because um, obviously it was going to be short scale. And one of the things that worked out really well was actually getting that additional string length on there because it means that I can drop down into A. I mean, you guys have heard it already, but that low B for a short scale, like it defies physics. It's got so much tension. And then again, one of the things was I said, to bring up some more tension for a short scale f- flat wounds because obviously compared to rounds they've just got so much more tension yeah and a- again it just helps me get a bit more of that darker tone i'm trying to eliminate clank yeah. for this one so from a kind of a perspective of it working for what i need it's just hit everything out of the bag so yeah it's been like a really cool experience with saku you know lovely guy to work with incredibly generous with his time um attention to detail is like something from the custom shop you know you, i've played fender custom shop stuff and been disappointed and i've played you know 7k bases from high-end manufacturers and been disappointed and, and i've played some which have been incredible but this was just like you know every expectation that i had in my head i was worried when i was gonna, worried when i unboxed it because i was like oh my god is it gonna live up to my expectation and when i unboxed it i was just like this is like where i should be it's you know so comfortable to play for me obviously because i spec'd it so you would hope that it would you know work but from a wood perspective again saku is like he's like what kind of woods do you like for a build and i have spec'd enough builds that i know that i like swamp ash for bodies and stuff like that because it's lightweight it's very vibrant and quite resonant so it's like you know a nice nice wood to have a body made of for long gigging and certainly from the tonal perspective and he was like the woods that I've got, we don't, again, we were trying to keep it finished woods, so I wasn't going to do Swamp Ash, but he was like, here's some of the woods that I have that are kind of similar to Swamp Ash, and we'll give you the same yeah. characteristics. Originally, we were going to go Pine, ended up going with Spruce. Again, super resonant. It's one of those bodies you can knock on and you hear it ring. It's just really it's interesting. cool. It's interesting, though, because as well, you, I feel like you have got, a, got a, a, a good product out of this, not just because you're working with someone who definitely sounds like a fantastic builder you have real world experience of working with you know you said you've had multiple custom builds made for you you've i mean you've played so many bases matt you need to go to therapy but um (laughs) you've got that knowledge and i was just i was listening to you talking about those different things like you know pickup configurations the reverse headstock for the additional scale length you know the support for the scale length these are things that wouldn't even cross my mind because no. I haven't experienced those. So it's like, for example, it's like you've tried, let's pretend you've tried 15 stock bases 
and gone, well, I like this from this, I like this from this, I like this from this, would these three things work together? No, but this one could. You've got that experience of having an instrument in your hands and messing around with various elements, whereas I, Johnny probably has a lot more experience of this than me, whereas I only really know I've probably only ever stuck about 10 basses in my hand, ever. Like, I don't I don't play a lot of... If we're talking about guitars, I could do this all day, every day, but bass has very much been a thing for me. Get out. Where, I know. <laughs> disgusting! Whereas bass for me has been something where it's like, you know, the first thing that got put in front of me was a jazz bass, and I went, hey, this sounds all right, and then I stuck with it for four years and never tried anything else. So it's... I know you were saying, obviously... What, what was the guy's name again? Uh, Saku Viore. Well, he's obviously like made you like an amazing product, and there's zero doubt in my mind that this guy really knows what he's talking about. But I feel like your real world experience of dealing with lots of different other products is definitely you, basically you're able to say what you wanted. I don't think I would be able to do that. Like, I'm not entirely confident that you know I have a preference towards um, a maple neck, but I can't really tell you why. And then I'm used to things that are more like ash-based bodies. But if someone said to me, oh, well, like Babinga and Panga Panga and those other neck bodies, I've got to be honest, I'm not entirely sure I would be able to tell the difference. Well, even like you said, like even like the the fret wiring and the the thickness of this and that and tiny little things that I'd be like, I ain't got a clue. And that's where that knowledge from that luthier comes in super handy because then, like you say, it can be really collaborative and they can advise you on, you know, on based on what your likes are, you know, they, they spec it out on that as well as not just like the, the very fine details that you might not know about. Because I bet, well, I don't know, are most of the people that are getting custom bases get drilling down to every single detail? I mean, did you find that that was something that something that you really enjoyed about this one compared to other ones that you've done, Matt? Yeah, 100%. And I think some of that as well is that so this isn't the first custom again this isn't the first custom base i've built so i was already kind of going back to like previous conversations i've had and you know and even just you know there's been times that i've spec something and actually been like "Mm, actually it wasn't kind of how i wanted it and this goes back again there's this there's stages of this but the first stages it depends on the level of custom you're going so again if you ordered like say a Fender custom shop or a Dingwall custom or a Sandberg or something like that, you've kind of got a template of options. So they take a lot of the choice, not away from you, but they give you Mm. the choices you can make. So you have, you know, if it's a five string, it's going to have X nut width. So that's already taken out of your control. The fretboards that they offer are maybe going to be, say, something like Wenge, Ebony and Maple. So you pick between three words. If you've only ever played Maple, there's a good chance you probably just stick with Maple. You know, if you want like a really nice kind of almost like slightly brighter hardwood, I would go for Ebony. Certainly for a fretless, love Ebony on a fretless. You get that really nice like moire without having a coated board. Or, you know, if you want a slightly warmer response, you go for something like Rosewood or, you know, in another instance like Wenge. Um, then Bodywoods. Again, this is going back to something that you might have played. So if you've played, say, I don't know, a P base, you might go for like an older body, unless you've played an Ash P, but you know, generally I think P's typically are older. Um, so you know, if you like that kind of body weight, you probably kind of and you know, you like the slightly, I guess, warmer body response of older, then you probably go into that. And again, you're probably only gonna get options of either like older, 
ash or maybe like basswood or something like that if you're going for like a you know there's different variants of basswood that can be the cheapest stuff or it can be super expensive because it's very in our world we call it basswood basswood <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know so you'll be like typically i think a lot of the people who are spending this kind of money on bases already have a fairly good idea of things that they like and dislike anyway and often again going back to this kind of you know if you're working with a bigger company's custom shop you have options which you know you like so you've probably already played one of the products and gone yeah i like the five string version of this the c neck profile works for me i'm just going to so put these pickups in it what was your involvement with the company before? Did you come across them before and just really liked them and thought, yeah, this is the one? Yeah. So I I always love small builders anyway, because I feel like they can afford to put more attention into things, which, you know, even if you've got a company where the founder still works for them, often their job now is very admin based or, you know, like promotional stuff. It's not always, you know, it's very rare. I think that a lot of them are in the shop, you know, chiseling away at something. Maybe like Federa and stuff like that, you know, where like Vinny's still grafting away and stuff like that, or Joey. But, you know, typically you tend to find that someone starts a company, it gets better and better and better. And then unfortunately, you know, they don't have as much of a hands-on involvement anymore. Yeah, they move into more of a CEO kind of CEO role. role. Exactly. Like Do you personality role <laughs> yeah maybe yeah exactly but Jim and... Marshall isn't still sat there like screwing in all the valves himself <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert jim but, jim unfortunately is no longer with us r.i.p jim that's the, not the christmas news i wanted to <laughs> christmas is ruined christmas is bloody ruined 2022 for you uh, <laughs> no but yeah you know as i said you you get to this point where you have like specs set in stone for you so you you know that you like one of their offerings and you pick things based on that so going back to what um how i kind of got involved with saku i really like this stuff on um his stuff on instagram and stuff like that online basically about a year 18 months ago he did uh ian martin allison's signature base if you've seen it um obviously mm-hmm. johnny's nodding oh, for those yeah. who can't see it yeah, yeah. Right. So I, I literally looked it up a minute ago because I, I was like i was i've heard this name before, matt, and I was before like, you yes yeah matt before you sent me the first pictures of the base i thought I've seen that name somewhere and I couldn't think about yeah. it worth, but now yes of course yeah Ian has that one like, yeah is yeah, that like off sagey green kind of bluish green like Yeah, it's kind of like a Pelham blue type vibe yes. and then I think it's 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 multicolored so there's like different finishes under it so as it wears oh. it'll show off different finishes um, cool. which I think is cool cuz it's going to like tell a story of Ian's ownership. Massive shout out mm. to Ian by the way, huge ambassador for like the base community. Lovely guy. Often I've had like when I was like a new dad and stuff, I was having like a meltdown and I was like, Ian, you're a base dad. Like you don't know me <laughs> at all, but can you just like hold my hand for a minute? And he was like, you'll be fine. Let's stop talking. Oh, to me. That's, really <laughs> that's, 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 good that's to so know. true. Like that's so true. Like what you said about, um, like it, it's got like a story to tell. Uh, and I think like you said about the woods being local as well, that kind of comes into it as well. Yeah. And it kind of brings this kind of soul element. A hundred percent. And the, the wood of the body of mine is almost the same age as me. It's like born in the same, it's like born. It was like harvested in the same kind of like era of me being born. So like wow, it's, 1964. Yeah. baby. Wow. <laughs> 2019. Um, I, saw a, yeah. I saw a meme about that. I saw a meme about that. It was like people who were born in 99, 1999 are 42 years old. 
Just let that sink <laughs> <in>. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's really harrowing for me. So I'm 30 and um, I hired like my first staff member at my job like um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, she's 25. And even though there's only five years in it, like we're like, she's got such a different, so much older. Yeah. It's the first time I've ever felt old. Cause like I did, um, I did a photo shoot a couple of, uh, like a week ago for someone and someone thought I was 27. I was like, yeah, I'll take that. And then, but n- culturally, like, I just have such a different like reference mm, yeah, point. Of, yeah, yeah, like yeah. me and me and my manager have like reference points of like stuff like you know like gladiators being on TV and stuff like yeah, very hazy memories. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like gladiators and like stuff like Pokemon first series and stuff like that. And we're yeah, on TV. Pokemon, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, literally. And we have all these references. And then I'm like, you weren't alive for any of that happening. You know what I mean? And so like we. And like the just the sources we use at work, like I'm all over Reddit and like still like read blogs about things, and nope. like she she's just like no TikTok, and I'm like oh okay, so if like I, it's just re- it's so I interesting. Can, I can top that. So I've gigged with people who are who weren't alive when the first Shrek movie came out. There's people who have oh kids. There's people exactly. who had kids that weren't alive when the first Shrek exactly. movie was out, which what, blows my mind. Oh my I can tell you comfortably right now, the very one of the very first times I went, wait, I am actually like old now, at the grand old age of 28. <laughs> I have lower back pain. That's actually like oh, a genetic injury. And I'm like... That just I'm gets worse like, and worse. Yep. And I'm like, I've, been, I've changed my entire gym routine to like kind of focus on lower back strength. And I'm like, Christ... <laughs> I'm 28. I He's swear, the I swear to... last week I was throwing up in Weatherspoons. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> you were at that gig. <laughs> I was. <Yeah>. Correct. <laughs> For all those oh, listening, that... I'm a very professional bass player. I do not know. <laughs> Please hire or, him. Or after gigs. Please hire me. Um, I need the money. Thank you. <laughs> when you say five and drive earlier, Chris. No, <laughs> I only tell um, yes. people they can do five and drive. <laughs> I do not do five and drive. Uh, uh, no, definitely no one doing drive is very stupid. Very stupid, especially not especially not around Christmas. Don't be a dumb dumb and ruin someone's Christmas. Anyway, exactly. yeah. So going back to Ian's base, I saw that, and that's kind of Thank what you. got me interested in the company. And and so I I started like I followed Saku you know I was like we were just chatting back and forth about his base builds and stuff like that, um and it just really organically kind of grew from there um and again he was going to come to the UK um and do a guitar show, and was like, um you know do, do you want should we do like a demo, bass and you can come and do the show kind of thing, so that's kind of where it started. Um, and yeah, like it's, I said, it just evolved into um, us doing the first five five string short scale he's ever done. And um, we took some learnings, obviously, and said, and you know, I've specced a load of bases. He's built a load of bases. So between us, I think we've made a really cool thing. To be honest, um, I Much definitely yeah. I don't think that I don't see many short scale fives. I've seen a few recently. Oh, uh, seen they seem to be. Five. I've seen a Spectre. They did one recently. I think Spectre's done one. Really? Um, uh, Viv Wilcock, uh, Wilcox Bases. He's just done one for Tim Lefave, I think, um, and one of his Malarkey Fives. I think it's got dog ear P90s in it in the neck and middle, so it looks super cool. I think it's like a um, a red cherry. It looks very much kind of like, almost like an SG base, um, different body shape but same finish and like black hardware and stuff with the like neck and middle. So it looks very cool. Um, so I think he's literally just taken delivery of that kind of that like, same week I got this actually. So we're in competition 
No, what? but... <laughs> oh, who's his best? Yeah. No, mine's definitely best. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, yeah, I think, you know, you guys will hear it. Uh, you guys have already heard it, but for anyone who hears it, the low string is just physics defying. I don't know how it sounds so clear for such a short scale. And you guys will have to... Johnny, I'll definitely have to pop up to you soon and you can have a play on it. Yes, please. Yeah, That'll just drive up to mine, Matt. No worries. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you, pay, you, are you paying for the petrol? No. <laughs> or the flight. I mean, I drive to <laughs> you, but I don't have a working car right now. <laughs> oh, I've got a really small violin here. I think I, I think I deserve a big violin for my car problems. Oh, a big violin car won't problems. fit in your micro. <laughs> I'd, 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 <laughs> big violin, tiny micro. <laughs> it's the perpetual struggle. Absolutely. <laughs> oh. Well, um, so I suppose we better listen to this thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, nah. Let's, uh, nah, just, just leave them leave hoping. Um Let's take a listen to this incredible sounding bass now. I, I I love it. Going from clean to dirty as well. I see what you mean about taking that high end out. And it's not a sound. When you were describing it, I was like, I don't know why I would want that for like uh, metal or like uh, heavier music. I don't know why I'd want that. Or like, uh, I, I kind of like that, like the high end, but it works so well. It sounds so good in that mix. Yeah, thank you so much. I think for me, it's certainly for whalebone stuff, it's very kind of like wall of sound vibes. And Doom and mm. Stoner stuff is very much that kind of genre anyway. Like you don't, it's like low, slow, baby. Give me a ton of fuzz or like, you know, drive. Don't accent much of the top end. And to be honest, the guitars are so mid-rangey anyway that generally I kind of leave them to it. So yeah, it's that it's that kind of thing of like a wall of sound. And also like with a lot of the metal stuff that i play anyway i always scoop all the mids out of it anyway like i'm so like scoop all your mids completely max your filters so you're not getting any of that and all you're getting is like a nice clean low end and maybe sometimes a bit of treble on top in this instance i'm just trying to keep it like quite a clear low which again is strange to say that you're going to go for a short scale but because you get such a powerful fundamental and not as much of an overtone it's almost like you get more of like a punch from it it's like you get that low end and it kind of just i would say alone 
it's probably not a sound that you're going to be like, this is the best sound I've ever heard. But in a mix, it sits so well against the mids of guitars that that's kind of where I was going with that. I mean, on its own is irrelevant, isn't it? I mean, for the nature of music that we play, as in as bass players, how we sound in the mix for me is more important than how we sound on our own because I don't know about YouTube. It's very rare that I'm playing on my own. So the fact that it sits so well in the mix is a testament to the instrument. Absolutely. I mean, it sounded, I think it sounded really good isolated anyway, but yeah, you know, it it does. Yeah. I'm assuming that well-born track doesn't actually have a break in the middle of the riff where it's like, it's just the bass. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like a, yeah. a really boring bass solo where I'll just play the riff but with nothing else. <laughs> yeah, I no, it, 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 it absolutely does sound good. And to me, it's perfect. It's exactly what I wanted. But I think, you know, if you're going to something like, you know, say you isolated something like a ding wall or something, it's going to sound very different to what you would expect, I think. Um, and again, that's exactly what I wanted. And it does sound awesome on its own. But I... I do have to say I've obviously spec'd it for a very specific purpose and it's not going to be everyone's purpose but I think that from a mix perspective which is again the most critical and important part of things it just sits so well so that's kind of you know I, I'm super happy with it basically and that is that um whalebone track is just off the new album but for that um clip you heard i re-recorded it this morning like i took the bass out and like re-threw it back in with the new bass and so like that's not like the mastered version or anything that's literally i just threw the bass under the guitars and drums and like you know it's had no mixing or mastering or anything like that nice yeah i i I totally know what you mean when it's um when you got that you know really clear low end because on that clean track it it's and i find that's a thing of short scale sometimes you can get a little bit they can they're a bit tubbier sounding almost and not less defined but i don't know like I, that one really defied that i think and uh, i think it just sounded awesome it, it's got it such, really cool it's got such an interesting um feel to it because you look at it and obviously it's shorter and you think this is going to sound again tubby is a perfect word it's going to sound like really muddy almost like you know super bass heavy but with no definition but especially with those thunderbirds yeah, as well it's so strange like i made it like almost to be again very dark sounding bass but because of the pickup placement where it's in the middle and the bridge it really kind of helps retain the clarity and that's one of the reasons that i didn't opt to go for the neck because i do think the neck on a short scale would probably have been too much and mm. and it was again that reference point was that 66 mustang i had with peas in the br- middle and then a jazz in the bridge that combo on a short scale just did something sonically that i was like this is killer and i gigged that bass loads and from a mixing point of view i was just found it really easy to sit in the mix kind of regardless of the genre so that was one of the things that informed this and whilst yeah we wound the pickups to be slightly darker again because of their placement it just helps retain some of that clarity um and i think as well having a 127 flat wound for the b it just helps keep that tension as well so again the string maybe is a little bit intrinsically darker or like darker mid but because there's more tension you're not like fretting out and you've got enough you know i guess the strings vibrating efficiently enough that you're getting quite like a dynamic sound out of it still yeah well i i absolutely this has been such a good conversation i think because like previously i would have been like five string short scale are you mad but like this makes so much sense and talking to you about this has been 
I don't know about you, Chris, but super, super handy. And uh, now I feel like I want a custom base, which is something I never thought I'd ever you know, <laughs> try and say. So, uh, uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I think everyone will agree that, you know, you've brought a lot to today's episode and uh, uh, not not just in sounds, incredible sounds, but um, in knowledge as well with your, you know, um, massive index of uh, bases that you've played uh, throughout the years and all that experience coming into it was all accumulating to this podcast i think matt this is literally what what i've been working towards for my entire life so thank you so much for finally making my dreams realized you're welcome (laughs) the peak (laughs) (laughs) um matt one last time sell yourself where can the people find you so on instagram at matt parker base tiktok again at matt parker base or if you want to go on my website mattparkerbase.com damn you're up chris where can the peeps find you uh it's just that guy on base on instagram and tiktok um just stick to tiktok no don't stick to tiktok that's not the point ah um instagram that's where i do most of my content uh, i post some stuff on youtube as well i might even try and film a youtube video in the near future i'm not too sure i might do you've heard it here first probably won't do it we'll see what happens but yeah just this is how to replace a cam belt on a Nissan Micra. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Live five, react. Here's five Live. quick ways to bankrupt yourself in three easy steps. <laughs> Live reaction to Johnny Dibble's last unboxing. You won't believe what he said. <laughs> Johnny Dibble puts ghost pepper. Him. <laughs> Johnny Dibble puts ghost pepper up his bum and refuse and refuse. <laughs> Next one for the bank. Wow. I don't know if I like this idea of uh, creating a YouTube channel anymore, Chris. Just start an OnlyFans. I won't do it. Yeah. I'd like Craig Um, Reynolds, but even more ADHD. (laughs) Let's start your own podcast. Come on. Yeah, why not? Um, No one wants that. So. If you want to find a little on me, if you're watching on YouTube, then you know what to do to hit like, comment down below, and, um, you know, hit that subscribe subscribe button, maybe. Maybe just do that for me. Um, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Music, rate this, you know, rate this podcast um, five stars. Um, I assume I assume it's all out of five stars. I might have been saying, yeah, rate us five stars, and it's out of, like, 20 or something, and then... People have been giving us a real low rating. What I mean to say is give us the top rate. Come on. Give us a nice review uh, to help us rank up on there. That'll be lovely stuff. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram and TikTok, it is at Johnny Dibble. Actually, no. Nope. <laughs> if you didn't know everyone, I'm really good at this podcast host stuff. And I just, just fuck up the how many thing. How many subscribers do you have again on YouTube? Uh... Um, not enough so hit that button hey! now um, no it's um it's it's about 11,972 i think oh something like that that's nice mm. isn't it mm. um, yeah okay that's okay i guess <laughs> i've got 42 yeah, nice well if you oh i just went up 10 in the last that's oh that's up. pretty good um, yeah um so yeah well if you start yours then i you can send them over to here as well I'll give you all 42 42 subscribers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Anyway, uh, 
go and follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, for Instagram, that is where you can submit your questions to this podcast. So make sure you're following and make sure that you look out for my stories each week where I post uh, where you can submit your questions for this. So yeah, once again, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.